Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. When you hear the clang of that cell door shut, you don't know whether you've got any future at all. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of people, I think, in life that experience things like that, Brett. But for me, it was cold and remindful. On his 35th birthday, Niven Nayland was riding high. A thriving business, beautiful fiancé, close-knit family, loving big brother. Until one wrong decision behind the wheel resulted in his brother's death, the loss of his business, shattered dreams and a prison sentence for alcohol-related vehicular manslaughter. But finding himself inside prison walls turned out to be the greatest of blessings because in that dark place, Niven encountered the light of God's mercy and love. That's Niven Nayland, our guest today, with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family, Australia. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you, Brett. Lovely to be here. It's fantastic that you have taken the time to be with us in our studio. You're an author who's put pen to paper about this journey that you have found yourself. But let's go back a little bit. You've been brought up in a Christian home. You had good values and a faith upbringing, but you weren't really living that lifestyle. No, I I certainly wasn't. Uh, I did for a little while, but uh, I fell back into some old ways and you know, the habits came back, and I certainly was uh, far from living a Christ-like lifestyle. Mm, yeah. yeah. You've had a successful business out of jail. You're married. You've got a son. You know, life has been going well, but it hasn't always been that way because of this one decision. So take us back to that when all things went wrong. Yes, yeah, so it certainly was a difficult time, Brett. On my 35th birthday... My brother and I owned a garden supply yard in uh, a place called Sydney, Victoria. And anyhow, a friend of mine gave me a call and said, why don't you come up to a nearby hotel for a, a counter lunch? And so I thought, that's a great idea. Business was pretty slow at the time and the fellows could look after the place. So I jumped in the Audi and I was about to take off and I wound the window down and I called it out to my brother. And I said, would you like to come with me? And uh, so we journeyed off together. We'd both known these couple of guys for quite some time. Anyhow, we got to the hotel, we ordered our counter lunch and we played some pool and had some drinks and that went on into the afternoon. We had some more drinks and had some bags of chips and we had a lot of laughs and it was good. It was good fun. But then uh, time to go and I got into the uh, driver's seat, which I always did when John and I went out. And we drove down the highway back to work. And on this little right turn that we had to make you would keep an eye out for the gap in the traffic it was just one of those typical roads where you didn't like to be propped there for fear Mm. of getting rear-ended or someone sideswiping you and so I went down through the gears and I thought I timed it very well but I didn't time it well at all because I veered into the path of an oncoming car doing 100 kilometres an hour Mm. now Brett that threw us on our head and it was like a baseball bat hitting a baseball it hit that hard so the passenger side took the full impact as the T-bone there. That's correct. And then you found yourself (laughs) upside down. Uh, Upside down. It was right on the uh, quarter panel on the front guard and it pushed everything in. So we're upside down and I was knocked out for a few seconds and then I came to and I thought, oh, goodness, what's broken? 
meaning my body, and mm. so I just wiggled my toes and I wiggled my fingers, and I just moved my neck very gently, and I thought, oh, okay, that feels okay, everything mm. seems to be working. And then I turned to my brother, and he was suspended in his seatbelt as well, upside down, but things weren't well with him. His nostrils were full of blood, Brett, and little air bubbles were coming out. Yeah. And then after a few seconds of that, he died right in front of me. Wow. How did that make you feel? Well, I was just shocked. I thought, goodness me. And all of my life basically reeled before me in my mind very quickly, Mm. like it does when you do the wrong thing and get caught. Yeah. And so uh, in the next few seconds, I had to make some serious decisions about my life and about God and about the journey I was on. So I crawled out of that broken upside down window, a different man. Wow. Altogether. But then you had to go and tell mum that your brother was dead and exactly. the rest of the family. That would have been a very humbling experience. Well, that was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Dad had passed away uh, by then, but I had to ring mum and I, I was in hospital because I needed to have blood tests. And so I'm standing there at the phone on the wall because this was prior to mobiles and I'm just thinking, how do I do this? Yeah. What do I say? I know what she was like when Dad died. Yeah. And anyhow, I just had to come straight out with it. And I closed my eyes and waited for whatever was coming back through the phone. Yeah. And nothing did. But unfortunately, there are consequences. You were subsequently arrested because you were over the limit. And then the roll-on effect of this is your business was taken away from you. You had to go through the court proceedings and you thought you might have got off for a reason. Look, it's funny. We like to put everything to the Lord, Breton, and we prayed as a family the night before the court case that the judgment would be the Lord's. And so we have to be careful for what we pray for. Right. And so instead of wearing some old clothes like my legal team had suggested, I thought, well, they have no faith. God's not going to put me in. I have a mother who's just lost her only other son mm. recently. I have a wife who's three months pregnant. I've still got some business battles to fight. And I thought, the Lord's not going to put me in there. So I put on my best suit, a nice Hugo Boss suit. I had a fancy $50 tie. I had a really nice silk shirt, some floor show shoes. And I slept in them that night, Brett, in prison. So God had different ideas. He certainly did. So even though you felt that God was on your team, you still have to face the consequences and God is still on your team, but you find yourself in prison. And for someone who'd been brought up with a a faith, God had arrested your attention and seriously, you changed your life, even though there were some consequences, you find yourself in the four walls of a prison. What's that like? Well, it's pretty devastating to start off with, to be quite frank, because when you hear the clang of that cell door shut, you don't know whether you've got any future at all. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of people, I think, in life that experience things like that, Brett. But for me, it was cold and remindful. And uh, the stupidity of the consequence of my decision to drive while over the limit, and I shouldn't have been drinking anyhow, I wasn't brought up to drink, but the consequence of that just came reverberating back to me as I lay there in the cell in my suit Asleep or, or, uh, <laughs> or trying to, to sleep. sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, what about just the process? I can imagine, you know, you are the sole responsible person that ended up taking your brother's life. 
how does one process the grief and loss and the forgiveness of that? Look, that's very hard. We were so busy in the next 14 months going through court cases. I was going through legal books. I had interviews with the police and a range of business matters that were just coming up before my face and I had legal people I had to see. I really didn't have time to mourn at that stage. And so I found out that I mourned years later, really. Right. I found myself in my brother's shower because I was living with him at the time of his death. And so I just remember being in his shower and thinking, I should be crying now. Yeah. And I couldn't cry. The waterworks were turned off. Yeah. At that stage, it was just this huge weight of responsibility. Well, probably you're in survival mode, and as you said, it took some time later. Um, your fiancé at the time, you did get married, and you had a child on, on the way, and yet then you find yourself in prison. And then you have to make the best of it, what you could do in jail. So what's it like for someone who's a Christian now who is God has got his full attention and then what's a Christian like inside the four walls of a jail well that's a very good question because I suppose not a lot of us go in there but there are a few I'm sure after a couple of weeks I got my wife to bring in my little new testament because I didn't know it took me a couple of weeks to find out what was going to be stolen and what would survive and so I got my wife to bring in a little new testament and I started reading that and I immediately felt better I felt more at ease with the Lord and I just laid down basically the next 10 months because that was the uh, the sentence I'd lay down the next 10 months to the Lord and so I'll just uh, have a quiet read to myself and just basically do the things a normal prisoner does, which is have breakfast at 8 o'clock in the morning, have lunch at 11 and have dinner at 3 and be locked up again at 4pm. And That's uh, the routine. That's the routine and you spend mm. the next 16 hours in a cell with someone you've just met. Extraordinary. But I'd imagine that the people you come across could make life very difficult for you or alternatively there could be something that you could be used by God even in the circumstances that you found yourself in. Look, that's, uh, sometimes it's hard to put yourself at the disposal of the Lord because you're too scared. Yeah. But uh, once I got to Durrangile... Uh, What's Durrangile? Durrangile is a yeah. uh, prison farm up uh, near Shepparton. And so I was in Pentridge, which is called Bluestone College, not affectionately. <laughs> no. But uh, it's called Bluestone College, and it's in Coburg, and it's used as a housing estate now. But at that time, it was a, a prison, the one, mm-hmm. the same one Ned Kelly was hung in. So from there, I spent a month there, and then I went up to uh, this country farm. It's a big mansion with bars on the windows and magnetically locked doors. And so you're uh, basically in dormitories up there. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, when I was in this dormitory with six or seven guys, one of the young blokes, he saw me reading my Bible, and he was, this guy's about 19, full of tattoos, and he came up and he said, what are you reading? And I said, I'm reading my Bible. He said, what's that about? And so I started talking to him about it and uh, showing him a few things about life in it, and that was still my little New Testament. Anyhow, that progressed into doing little mini Bible studies with him every night. Fantastic. And so this guy's gone from being... Uh, Basically, he would have seen prison time and time again. You can just see it. He asked me, he said, what's after a few of these meetings? He said, what's a born-again Christian like? Mm. And so I started telling him. And a few more Bible studies later and a bit of prayer and things like that, and he was on the phone talking to his girlfriend back home, and he said, you know, I think I'm becoming a born-again Christian. Fantastic. And he could just see the Lord working on his life. Yeah. Look, he left not long after that. And uh, at that stage, I just thought, 
I don't know what I'm doing here because no one else seems to be interested. So I just asked the Lord to get me out of there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the very next morning, one of the prison officers came up and said, Nayland, would you like a dorm change? And I said, thanks very much. So I went out to another dorm and there I was, uh, I ended up doing Bible studies there with some more prisoners. Fantastic. And so there was a number of people all quite engaged and you were doing Bible studies and prayer groups and then you coordinated for outside organisations to come in and, and minister. And as I understand, your witness within the prison was noticed by the wardens and the officers and so you were given a certain position of authority and noted that things were changing in the environment that you were in. Look, in positions of authority, what I did was uh, I actually wrote out to a lot of nurseries because the rear garden, which was my job in there, was bereft of any plant life, basically, except Mm -hmm. these ugly-looking canna lilies. And uh, the prison wasn't going to give me much. They gave me a couple of hundred dollars. And I thought, well, you can't do much with that. And so I wrote out to all these nurseries and I got all their old stock. And so I got the equivalent today would be about $12,000 worth of plants. Wow, incredible favour. Look, it was fantastic. And so I had put these plants somewhere when I brought them back to the prison. So one of the prison officers said to me once, he said, Nayland, you've got more keys to this prison than I have because I had to keep these plants alive somewhere (laughs) all around the prison. Fantastic, fantastic. And during your incarceration... Your wife had your baby, but then you're separated. You're not with your child, and that would have been very difficult. Look, it was hard. You can't help lamenting on what you've done wrong in positions like that, in situations like that. But because I was doing so much around the prison, the prison governor, who I didn't think liked me, but he said to the prison officers, anybody going into Shepparton, this is when my wife was in the labour ward, and uh, our son was jaundiced and he needed a blood transfusion, which was going to be in there for eight days. Mm-hmm. And the governor said, anyone going into Shepparton, throw Nayland on board. And so these prison officers would come up and say, hey, Nayland, just got to get some groceries, come with me. And they'd drop me off at the hospital, not be there for three hours. Man. And they'd come and pick me up later on and say, I got out five days out of the eight days. And my mate who had been in prison for a long time, he said, that's unheard of in the prison system. You should have got only two half days. That's extraordinary. What an incredible favour. Our guest today is Niven Nayland. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Niven Nayland was riding high, a thriving business, beautiful fiancé, close-knit family, loving big brother, until one wrong decision behind the wheel resulted in his brother's death and a prison sentence for alcohol-related vehicular manslaughter. But finding himself inside prison walls turned out to be the greatest of blessings because in that dark place, Niven encountered the light of God's mercy and love. That's Niven Nayland, our guest for Focus on the Family, Australia. So there you are, you're coming to the end of your sentence. Where does life take you then? With the guy I was drinking with, I think he felt a bit sorry for me. And so he got me a job. I put the feelers out there before I left prison because I wanted to go straight from prison with a little break and then straight into work. And it was a recession at the time, so it was very hard to get a job. But he managed to get me one at a manufacturing facility. And so uh, I've gone 
basically straight into that, and I worked there for uh, five years. Wow. And then I took a break, and they gave me a few phone calls, and I went back for another five years. So that was pretty good. I was very fortunate. But you obviously were quite evangelistic, and uh, you're very enthusiastic to continue with this ministry. So as I understand, you showed interest with Prison Fellowship Australia. I recall you talked about the director at that time gave you a word of advice. He did, and it was probably the best advice at that time I could have had. And it came out of left field, and so I went there with all the passion because when I left Durrangal, I said to my wife, I really shouldn't be leaving. There's too much work to be done here. Yeah. And so when I went to prison fellowship on this orientation day, Reg Worthy, the state director at that time, I told him, I said, look, I've been doing all this work. I'd probably be good for the ministry. I'm just guessing. Yeah. And he grabbed hold of my shoulder and he just walked me over into a corner. And he said, son, why don't you go home and be a husband and be a father? And he said, and you get your life together as it normally should be. And he said, in 12 months, if that driving passion is still with you, come and see me. Yeah. And you know, Brett, it wasn't. And it wasn't for a few years until I got that passion again. Right. But you did work on being a good husband and a good father. I did. Worked on it. I don't know whether I achieved it or not. <laughs> but my <laughs> wife is still with me after 31 years. We're all on a work in progress. Now... From that point of view, you did finally get back into using your experience to help others. I mean, there's a number of things you've done, but you got involved with a group called Friends of Dismas Church, which is a church for inmates or ex-inmates. You've been in a men's support group, but you've also been a long-term member of Prison Fellowship Australia. So tell us all about those type of things. Well, Prison Fellowship is just such a brilliant organisation for a start, but I was working with them in uh, some of their programs that they used to run in prison, Mm -hmm. such as uh, Port Phillip Prison in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and down in Geelong, Barwon Prison. They were two high-security prisons, and we used to run a a 12-week course in there, and I used to do the character component. It was quite rewarding to see these guys when you're drawing it up on the board and you're giving them the understanding that... With a new paradigm shift, you can live a different life. And you can yeah. just see, we'd have about 15 people at a time, and you could see the light turning on, the penny dropping in yeah. these guys one by one through mm-hmm. the course. And it was just amazing. Like, it was just an honour to be there. Yeah. But you actually had that type of experience when you were actually incarcerated, didn't you? Tell us a little bit about a story that you mentioned about this really angry man that you walked with around the yard. <laughs> I haven't seen an angrier guy in my life. There's a 700-metre track, and I'm just walking around it. You know, everybody's trying to get fit, and uh, you'd walk around to clear your head and clear your thoughts, and and I heard this mumbling and this swearing behind me, and I look around, and and it's this guy. He had got off the bus, and I'd given him one of my Durrangile Christian blurb sheets that I'd used to hand out, and I, I saw him, and he's walking a bit faster than I was, and I sort of slowed down a little bit, and he caught up beside me, and I said to him, I said, uh, oh, do you want someone to walk with, mate? And I didn't wait for him to say yes or no. I just paced with him. Yeah. And he's just, everybody was his target, his wife, his friends, the people in the prison. Blame everyone else. Yeah, everybody was a target. And his face was red all the time. And anyhow, I just started talking to him because the Lord says uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. And this guy was full of wrath. And so I just started to uh, basically soft answer him, mm. you know, like I'm just asking these gentle questions about the future and and just a few days of doing that. Yeah. 
And he's turning into a different person. The anger just drained out of his body, out of his face. And then he started coming to Bible studies and prayer meetings and things like that. In the end, he was walking around with a Bible in his hand. I'd underlined a Bible, and his face shone like Moses when it came (laughs) down from the mount after speaking with God. And what did others notice? Well, they noticed that, and they also noticed that this angry man was turning into a really helpful guy that smiled everywhere he went. It was just an amazing turnaround. Fantastic. So all these people were just smiling. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds very cliche. Nothing's ever wasted. Obviously, you know, unfortunately, your brother paid a very heavy price. But as a result of that, and you wish it was different, but God arrested your attention, as I said, and you lived a life for God to do whatever needed to be done whether that was inside the four walls of the prison or even outside. So for those who are listening, and hopefully will never be able to relate to your story, but I'm sure there's some people here that are listening right now who may be on the brink of making poor decisions, or you may know someone who's about to make some unwise choices. A question without notice, so to speak, is (laughs) what would you want to say to them right now? Look, get your hearing ears on. The Lord tried to get my focus many times, and many times I just wouldn't listen to him, time and time again. And then all of a sudden it came to this crunch, and I thought, goodness me, mm. you know, we have to experience a death because of this. And so Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. And it's very hard sometimes when we have too much pride or too much waywardness in our yeah, spirit, yeah, and we just don't want to. We think we can get away with another day Mm. of uh, doing this unlawful, ungodly, whatever it is, whether it's drugs or whether it's sex or whether it's alcohol or or whatever it is, telling lies, stealing. But sooner or later, everything catches up. Like we've got this thing when we cheat. It's called sooner or later. You know, I work in health and safety and we look at likelihood and things like that. And sooner or later, Brett, these things do catch up. The more you do them, the more likely and the higher the consequence. So it's if not now, it will be in the future. There's a price. There is a price. Yeah. And it just gets heavier by the day. And so what you're really saying is that God is talking to us. You probably know deep down that he may be wanting to gain your attention. You've got to tune in. <laughs> Absolutely. Easier said than done. Yeah, get off the personal channel and get back onto the God mm. channel because you don't want to suffer what I suffered because I am still without a brother. Yeah. You know, when my brother went, he went on my birthday. So no birthday has ever been the same. Yeah. You know, I only had one. And so when we get together with family, there's one seat missing. Yeah. It's always missing. Mm. You mentioned in the early remarks about the process of forgiveness. God forgiving us, and then it's easy to forgive others. And your family were very supportive of you, forgave you for the trauma that they had to all experience. They very supportive of you during the journey. But mm. one of the greatest and most difficult things is learning to forgive yourself. Yeah, that's the hardest thing because with self-forgiveness, sometimes in those darker, deeper moments, months later, years later, days later, we think of how foolish we are and we go down into that pit of memory and we start raising this dead self-forgiveness body up mm. and we start putting that cloak on again. And, and really, uh, with self-forgiveness, it's part of 
God's overall love. He wants us to forgive ourselves because we limp forward if we haven't forgiven ourselves. Yeah, We can't walk forward in his ministry. But it's a process, as you said. It didn't happen automatically. No. It was a process. And it didn't happen overnight. No. No. God found you. He forgave you by his grace. He still let you go through the pain and the anguish of being incarcerated, but God still used you. So that mm. gives us hope for everyone. Despite our backgrounds, despite the circumstances that we find ourselves, God can still use even the most broken, even the most hurt, the most vulnerable. And sometimes we might think that God couldn't forgive me because of all the bad things I've done. Mm. God is a specialty at reaching down into the darkest pit and providing you've even got a little finger raised in hope. Yeah, God can grab that finger and he can grab that hand and he can raise you up and put you on solid ground again on your feet. There is life after everything. Yeah, but you need a community around you. Yeah, you certainly do. Yeah. Well, Nev, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks very much, Brett. It's been a pleasure. Our guest today was Niven Nalen, the inaugural chair of Friends of Dismas Church for Prison Ex-Inmates, and he's also an author of a book called Finding Myself Inside When a Prison Sentence Becomes God's Gift of Love. He can be contacted through his blog called vineyard.blog. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this program has provided some insight into redemption, second chances, and a way through physical, emotional, or spiritual incarceration to true freedom. For more resources on building healthy marriages and families, you can go to our website at families.org.au. I'm Brett Ryan, and we look forward to you tuning in again for another edition of Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.